Chapter 29 of Ox Team Days on the Oregon Trail. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ox Team Days on the Oregon Trail by Ezra Meeker and Howard Driggs. Chapter 29 The End of the Long Trail. I was glad enough to get out of the crowds of New York. It had given me some rich experiences, but that big city is no place for ox teams. It was good to get away from the jam and the hurry out onto the country roads. On the way to Philadelphia, between Newark and Elizabeth City, New Jersey, at a point known as Lyons Farm, the old Meeker homestead stood, built in the year 1676. Here the Meeker tribe, as we call ourselves, came out to greet me, nearly forty strong. On the way through Maryland, we saw a good many oxen, some of them driven on the road. The funny part of it was to have the owners try to trade their scrawny teams for Dave and Dandy, offering money to boot, or two yoke for one. They had never before seen such large oxen as Dave and Dandy, and for that matter, I never had myself. Dandy was of unusual size, and Dave was probably the largest trained ox in the United States then. He was sixteen hands high, and eight feet in girth. I reached Washington, the capital, just twenty-two months to the day from the time I had left home in Washington, the state. As soon as arrangements could be made, I went to see President Roosevelt. Senator Piles and Representative Cushman, of the Washington Congressional Delegation, introduced me to the President in the Cabinet Room. Mr. Roosevelt manifested a lively interest in the work of marking the trail. He did not need to be told that the trail was a battlefield or that the Oregon pioneers who moved out and occupied the Oregon country while it was yet in dispute between Great Britain and the United States were heroes. When I suggested that they were the winners of the further west, he fairly snatched these words from my lips. He went even further than I had dreamed of or hoped for, in invoking government aid to carry on the work. Addressing Senator Piles, the President said with emphasis, I am in favor of this work to mark this trail. If you will bring before Congress a measure to accomplishment, I am with you, and will give my support to it thoroughly. Mr. Roosevelt thought the suggestion of a memorial highway should first come from the states through which the trail runs. However, it would be possible to get congressional aid to mark the trail. In any event, he felt it ought to be done speedily. Unexpectedly, the President asked, Where is your team? I want to see it. Upon being told that it was nearby, without ceremony and without his hat, he was soon alongside asking questions faster than they could be answered, not idle questions, but such as showed his intense desire to get real information, bottom facts. President Roosevelt was a man who loved the pioneers and who understood the true West. His warm welcome remains in my heart as one of the richest rewards of the many that have come as compensation for my struggle to carry out my dream. On the 8th of January, 1908, I left Washington shipping my outfit over the Allegheny Mountains to McKeesport, Pennsylvania. From McKeesport I drove to Pittsburgh, and there put the team into winter quarters to remain until the 5th of March. Thence I shipped by boat on the Ohio River to Cincinnati, stopping in that city but one day, and from there I shipped by rail to St. Louis, Missouri. My object now was to retrace the original trail from its beginnings to where it joined the Oregon Trail over which I had traveled. This trail properly ran by water from St. Louis to Independence, thence westward along the Platte to Fort Laramie. 
At Pittsburgh and adjacent cities, I was received cordially and encouraged to believe that the movement to make a great national highway had taken a deep hold in the minds of the people. I was not so much encouraged in St. Louis. The city officers were unwilling to do anything to further the movement. But before I left the city, the Automobile Club and the Daughters of the American Revolution did take formal action endorsing the work. St. Louis had really been the head and center of the movement that finally established the original Oregon Trail. It was from here that Lewis and Clark started on the famous expedition of 1804 to 05 that opened up the Northwest. Here was where Wythe, Bonneville, and others of the early travelers on the trail had outfitted. The drive from St. Louis to Jefferson City, the capital of the state of Missouri, was tedious and without result other than that of reaching the point where the actual driving began in early days. Governor Folk signified his approval of the work, and I was given a cordial hearing by the citizens. On the 4th of April, I arrived at Independence, Missouri, which is generally understood to be the eastern terminus of the Santa Fe Trail. I found, however, that many of the pioneers had shipped further up the Missouri, some driving from Atchison, some from Leavenworth, others from St. Joseph. At a little later period, multitudes had set out from Canesville, now Council Bluffs, where Whitman and Parker made their final break with civilization and boldly turned their faces westward for the unknown land of Oregon. The Santa Fe and Oregon trails from Independence and Kansas City were identical for 40 miles or thereabouts, out to the town of Gardner, Kansas. From there, the Santa Fe Trail bore on to the west and finally to the southwest, while the Oregon Trail bore steadily on to the northwest and encountered the Platte Valley below Grand Island in what is now Nebraska. At the forks of the road, the historian Chittenden says, a simple signboard was seen, which carried the words Road to Oregon, thus pointing the way for 2,000 miles. No such signboard ever before pointed the road for so long a distance, and probably another such never will. I determined to make an effort to find the spot where this historic sign once stood, and if possible, to plant a marker there. Friends in Kansas City, one of whom I had not met for sixty years, took me by automobile to Gardner, where, after a search of a couple of hours, two old residents were found who were able to point out the spot. These men were Mr. V. R. Ellis and Mr. William J. Ott, aged respectively seventy-seven and eighty-two years, whose residence in the near vicinity dated back nearly fifty years. The point is at the intersection of Washington Street and Central Street in the town of Gardner. I planned to drive up the Missouri and investigate the remaining five prongs of the trail, Leavenworth, Atchison, St. Joseph's, Canesville, and Independence. I drove to Topeka, the capital city of Kansas, where I arrived on the 11th of May, 1908. There the trail crosses the Kansas River under the very shadow of the State House, not three blocks away, yet only a few know of it. On the 23rd of May, the team arrived at St. Joseph, Missouri a point where many pioneers had outfitted in early days. While public sentiment was there in hearty accord with the work of marking the trail, yet plainly it would be a hard tug to get the people together on a plan to erect a monument. Times were very tight to undertake such a work, came the response from so many that no organized effort was made. The Committee of Congress in charge of the bill appropriating $50,000 to mark the trail, by this time had taken action and had made a favorable report. Such a report was held to be almost equivalent to the passage of a bill. So, all things considered, the conclusion was reached to suspend operations, ship the team home, 
and for the time being take a rest from the work. I have been out from home twenty-eight months, lacking but five days. Hence it is small wonder that I concluded to listen to the inner longings to get back home, and home life. On the 26th of May, I shipped the outfit by rail from St. Joseph to Portland, Oregon, where I arrived on the 6th day of June, 1908, and went into camp on the same grounds I used in March, 1906, on my outward trip. As I returned home over the Oregon short line, I crossed the old trail in many places. This time, however, it was with Dave and Dandy quietly chewing their cud in the car, while I enjoyed all the luxuries of an overland train. I began vividly to realize the wide expanse of country covered, as we passed first one and then another of the camping places. I was led to wonder whether or not I should have undertaken the work if I could have seen the trail stretched out, as I saw it like a panorama from the car window. I sometimes think not. All of us at times undertake things that look bigger after completion than they did in our vision of them. We go into ventures without fully counting the cost. Perhaps that was the case, to a certain extent, in this venture. The work did look larger from the car window than from the camp. Nevertheless, I have no regrets to express or exultation to proclaim. The trail has not yet been fully or properly marked. We have made a good beginning, however, and let us hope the end will soon become an accomplished fact. Monumenting the old Oregon Trail means more than mere preservation and memory of the great highway. It means the building up of loyalty, of patriotism, as well as the teaching of our history in a form never to be forgotten. Words cannot express my deep feeling of gratitude for the royal welcome given me by the citizens of Portland. I was privileged to attend the reunion of the 2,000 pioneers who had just assembled for their annual meeting. The drive from Portland to Seattle is also one long to be remembered. My friends and neighbors met me with the kindliest welcome. On the 18th day of July, 1908, I drove into the city of Seattle, and the long journey was ended. My dream of retracing the way over the old trail had come true. End of chapter 29 End of Ox Team Days on the Oregon Trail By Ezra Meeker and Howard Driggs Recording by James Christopher JXChristopher at Yahoo.com September 2009